0: All right, you guys ready? Let's jump in. Uh, we're continuing our series, of Jesus People, and uh, if you weren't here last week, could you raise your hand if you weren't here last week, got a gauge of the room, okay? So most of you guys were here, amazing. Uh, but we're diving into this series, and you know, our heartbeat for this is simple, is that we want to be a church that reflects Jesus accurately. We want to be a church that when people come into contact with us, that we look so much like Jesus that they see him. Man, that's a beautiful vision. That when we, when we live our lives, we've, we've seen Jesus, and this is the goal, is that we would, if we are going to reflect him, we have to become like him. That we would be a people that have become so much like Jesus that everywhere we go, we're reflecting him. And so our Heartbeat for this year, like I mentioned, is that we are stepping into becoming more missional as a church, and being a missional isn't just something you do. I need you to hear this. The goal of this series isn't, here's 10 steps to evangelize, here's five steps how to have a conversation with your neighbor, and all that's great, but what would happen if a missional lifestyle actually flows out of just who you are in Christ? That Jesus didn't live his life you know, walking around with the Romans Road plan of this is how I'm going to go reach people, which is nothing wrong with that. Hear me out. But what would it look for Jesus just to be gushing out of you? Like this is what we're pressing into. And I think that uh, uh, it it, it seems like a, a bold vision, but what would it look like for a church that simply looks so much like Jesus? This is what are pursuing. And so last week we talked about a key aspect of Jesus' life, which is to be rooted in our identity with the Father, that Jesus' relationship with the Father was the foundation of his life and ministry, and it should be the same for us. That every aspect of Jesus' life that we will dive into in this series is an overflow of this identity. We see that when we are not rooted in our identity, that's when we begin to represent Jesus incorrectly. So if we were to represent him correctly, we have to understand this important aspect of his life, which we're diving into today, that was so prevalent and defined who he was. And so to be a Jesus people, we have to become a praying people. To become a Jesus people, we have to become a praying people. And so today we're going to dive into Prayer. That prayer was essential thing to the life of Jesus. He prayed in the night, and sometimes he even prayed throughout the whole night. He rose early in the morning to pray. He prayed before his baptism and and the beginning of his public ministry. He prayed after great achievements, and he prayed in moments of crisis. Jesus prayed to recover strength. He prayed before he ate. When life was busy, he withdrew alone to pray. He prayed when he was weary. Jesus prayed even before great temptations, and he prayed in the last moments of his life. I know for some of us, this topic may feel like something that you've graduated from. Like, oh, it's another sermon on prayer. <laughs> but if I were to, to have everyone in this room raise their hands, if they can confidently say that their prayer life looks like Jesus, the majority of you in this room would have your hands down. Because the reality is that this is not a topic you can graduate from. And my desire is that at the end of this message, you'll actually be stirred to develop a lifestyle of prayer. Maybe for some of you, you used to burn for prayer, but that fire has dimmed. My desire and the Lord's desire is that you'll actually leave this place excited and hungry to pray. Who wants that? Come on. So I want to say this as we start. I don't know if you know this, that prayer in the New Testament is different than prayer in the Old Testament. What does this mean? We know that when Jesus came, he redefined everything. I mentioned this last week that in the Old Testament, God being referred to as Father is only mentioned 15 times, right? And when Jesus, just in the Gospels alone, God, Jesus refers to God as Father over 150 times. That when Jesus came, he tore the veil. He unveiled the reality of who God is. Jesus says, when you see me, you see the Father. No one can come to the Father and know what God is actually like except through me. This is what Jesus came to reveal. And so Jesus came and he brought a revelation that God, yes, he is holy and he is mighty and he's all-powerful. But the primary revelation of who God is is that he's father. This was one of the reasons why Jesus was crucified and why the Pharisees were hunting him down. Because they kept saying, that's blasphemy. You cannot say you're God's son. You cannot say you're the son of God. You cannot say God is your father. That's blasphemy. This was was the, the cost of what Jesus came to reveal about God. And so if the reality of who God is is revealed in a clear picture, if our access to God is no longer at a distance, but in presence, that changes the way we pray. It changes the way that we approach God. That prayer in the Old Testament is behind a veil. But prayer in the New Testament is now inside the veil. That we don't pray in the outer courts, we pray from the holy of holies. That we don't pray uncertain if he hears us or not, we pray from the place of access and nearness to God. That Jesus not only revealed the nature of the Father, listen, he placed us in his presence. That Jesus actually made prayer something that felt like a ritual and felt like it was black and white into something that was vibrant and full of life. I know for a lot of us, when we think of prayer, that's what we think of is black and white ritual. We're not excited to pray, we're not hungry to pray, we don't run away to pray when life is hard. We react and then we pray. We pray as a reaction. And I think a lot of us, we have a paradigm of prayer as if we're still living in the Old Covenant. We have a a paradigm about prayer that God is still at a distance, and hopefully he'll respond. Hopefully what I'm doing is actually doing something. Who can be honest? You've been there. I've been there. Right? So in Luke 11, verse 1, Says this. Now it came to pass, as Jesus was praying in a certain place. I love that in a certain place. When he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, "Lord, teach us how to what to pray." As John also taught his disciples, but Jesus wasn't asked how to preach. He wasn't asked how do we raise the dead? How do we walk on water? But they asked him, "How do we pray?" they noticed that something significant happens when he prays, that they must have connected all that he does to his prayer life. And here's the interesting thing. Jewish people weren't unaware of prayer. They actually prayed three times a day, morning, noon, and night. They had a specific prayer that they recited three times a day. That Jewish people knew the ritual of prayer. This wasn't like some new thing Jesus invented. But when Jesus prayed, something was different. The way Jesus prayed looked very different than the ritual. So much so that out of everything that we could have seen, recorded, and inspired by the Holy Spirit, that they asked Jesus to teach them how to do, it was this one thing. I don't know about you, but that seems pretty significant. And so when they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, there was something about how Jesus prayed that was so radically new and vibrant than what they knew. Like I mentioned, I think most of us in this room, our idea of prayer was similar to the disciples. It was just a routine, a religious duty, something we check off a list. But the reason that we've seen it that way is because we have an incomplete definition of prayer that most people condense prayer to asking God for things or talking to him when you need something. But when we realize that prayer is literally, listen, what makes us come into contact with the eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the universe, it actually changes the way we value and approach prayer. This isn't just this little activity that we do as Christians. It's everything. It was everything to Jesus. And I think it's also interesting that scripture never gives us a direct definition of prayer. Do you know that? It never says prayer is this. Now it shows us people who pray, it shows us how to pray, but there's not an exact definition of prayer. And I think this is why so many of us have condensed it into something that is simplified. But as I've meditated on what prayer is through scripture, I've realized that prayer is not meant to be defined as this singular activity. It's actually much more vast and much more deep. So in the life of Jesus, we see prayer revealed and defined as this, as communion with God. Prayer is communion with God. That 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That prayer is communion or connecting with God. And so many people pray but never connect because we make prayer this ritual we do rather than living in connection with the person of Jesus. That John 17, 21 says this, I pray... This is Jesus. I pray that they will all be one. This is talking about us. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Now, this is packed. This is packed. That Jesus, his prayer is that as he is in communion with the Father, that we would also have communion in him. And I love how Jesus ends this verse. He says, so that the world will believe. <laughs> that when we as believers live in this place of communion and prayer with God, the overflow of that is the world will see Jesus. Oh, that's good. Can we put that verse back up? And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. What if the way in which we're meant to reach the world isn't us trying to convince people of something, but a life that looks so much like Him that the world will believe? That's the vision. It's from prayer and communion with God that the world will actually come to know the person of Jesus. Because in communion, you begin to look like the person you're in union with. I'll say it again. Because in the place of communion and prayer, you begin to look like the person you're in union with. You guys know that phenomenon that when people are married long enough, they start to become similar? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I like just think of like married couples that you know, like, the, the longer that people are married together, they start acting similar. They start thinking similar. start having similar interests. They, their humor starts to emerge. You know, when I look at so many of my friends in this room that are married, I'm like, man, you guys are, like, perfect for each other. Right? Like, you guys have become so unified and one that you guys are just, you guys literally look and act like each other. This is what union does. And so when prayer isn't just an activity, but you living in connection with God, you will start to look like him. And I love what Jesus specifies here. In John 17, he says this, and may they be in us. May they be in us. That communion isn't trying to fit God into our lives, but it's fitting our lives into his. These two realities bear very different fruits. The fruit of trying to fit God into our lives is that we are at the center and we allow God to do things in our terms. If things make us uncomfortable or it's inconvenient, then we think it's probably not God, or we just won't do it. We ask God to bless our decisions rather than asking him for his decisions first. Fitting God into our lives is like saying, God, here's a cup. Do what you want, but only in this little cup. However, the fruit of fitting our lives into his, as Jesus prayed, is that Jesus is at the center and we do whatever he says. Even if it's uncomfortable, costly, and inconvenient. We don't move unless he leads, we diligently seek his will and desires before our own. That fitting God into our lives It's like giving God a cup to fill, but when we fit our lives into God, it's like jumping into an ocean, allowing ourselves to be fully immersed by him. This is what prayer is, and this is the radical reality Jesus shows and invites us into. John Eldridge, he says this, he says, when we were created, or we were created for loving union with God, our union is much more than salvation, dutiful service, performing religious rituals and attending weekly church services we can do all these things and still not have union with god your very being is made to be saturated with the being of god amen let's go to 1st Thessalonians 5:16 to 18 And it says this, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the what? The will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God's will is that we pray without ceasing. It's interesting. Because if prayer was limited to just an activity, then we couldn't obey Scripture. Because at some point we'd have to eat, we'd have to sleep, we'd have to work, and our praying would have to cease. God will not desire something of you that you can't do, which means that the reality of praying without ceasing is actually achievable. To pray without ceasing means to constantly live in communion and connection with God. I'm gonna go back to the imagery of marriage. Even when I'm not near my wife, I can still be connected to her in my heart. Even when we are sitting next to each other and not talking, I can be connected to her in my heart. How? Because I'm aware of who she is and her love for me and my love for her. And that awareness keeps me in connection. This is what communion with God looks like. And yes, prayer has an expression, which we'll get into in a bit, but I want you to see the depth of what prayer actually is. That literally right now as I'm preaching, I'm praying. <laughs> right now as I'm talking to you, I'm, I'm in communion with God. That if I'm going to deliver something to you guys and teach the word of God in my own ability, it's not going to bring any transformation. I'm just giving you a TED Talk, giving you information to just puff you up. But if the goal of preaching is to actually see transformation, then it has to be done in communion with God. As I'm speaking, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? Yes, I prepare my notes. Yes, I spend hours studying. But even as I'm up here right now, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say? This is what communion with God is meant to look like. The word communion comes from the word koinonia, which means partnership, fellowship, and intimacy. Charles Spurgeon he says this quote, which I love. He says, "Prayer is the natural outgushing of a soul in communion with Jesus, just as the leaf and the fruit will come out of the vine branch without any conscious effort on the part of the branch." but simply because of its living union with the stem. So prayer buds and blossoms and fruits out of souls abiding in Jesus. Yes, what would your life look like if you lived in constant awareness of God and chose to stay in connection and union with him? that prayer is no longer limited by a place or a setting or a mood or a time. God's will for you is to pray without ceasing. And this is what it looks like, that you were designed to live in constant connection with God. This was the design for humanity since the beginning. This is why we see in Genesis, Adam, it says in scripture, Adam was walking in the cool of the day with God. Humanity was always meant to live in full communion with God. This is our design. This is how Jesus lived in John 5:19 he says this, I can only do what I see my father doing because whatever the father does the son also does. This is communion. The way Jesus lived, I'm only doing everything you see Jesus do in scripture him preaching him responding, him rebuking, him correcting, him loving, him serving. Jesus reveals everything that he did was from the place of communion. Of Father, what are you doing? And I'm going to do what you're doing. This is how Jesus lived his life. So prayer is communion. But I want to make this practical for us. What does the expression of that communion look like? In the same way in marriage, you can can say intimacy is connection, but there are several ways connection is meant to be expressed. The same way with prayer, that there are several ways this communion or prayer is expressed. And thankfully, Jesus gives us clear insight in Matthew 6. So let's go there, Matthew 6. When Jesus is asked this question by his disciples, teach us how to pray. I love this. Jesus gives us insight into his prayer life. Jesus gives us insight of this vibrant way of connection with God and what it can look like and what it's meant to look like. So let's read this. Jesus says this. this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus shows us the expression of prayer. Now we could take a whole sermon unpacking this, but I want to quickly just break this down for us. There's six things that we pull from Matthew 6. The first thing is this: the expression of prayer is relationship. Can we take the slide down first? I don't want people to take notes. I want you just listen and can take notes at the end. The expression of prayer, the first thing that we see, is relationship. Jesus starts teaching his disciples with the statement, "Our Father." And it seems so simple to us because we understand this, but like I mentioned, Jewish people didn't have a primary revelation of God as Father. And this is something that I actually want to empower you as a church, that when you pray, pray to the Father. Yes, you can pray to the Son. Yes, you can pray to the Holy Spirit. But Jesus says, this is how you pray. You can go straight to the source. This is how you can pray. Our Father, you can go right in to the Holy of Holies. And I've actually had to train myself when I pray, because I'm so used to praying to Jesus, because it's easy to pray to Jesus, Right? We're comfortable with Jesus. But for a lot of us, we have father wounds. We, the, the idea of father, there's baggage. The idea of intimacy with a father is difficult. But Jesus says this is actually the doorway into a life of prayer, is it has to start with, a re, with relationship with the one that you're praying to. And that's the reality is that he's father. And so I want to encourage you as your pastor, when you pray, pray to Father God. Start training yourself. Doesn't mean you can't pray to Jesus, you can't pray to the Holy Spirit, But Jesus shows us, pray, he didn't say pray Jesus, he says pray our Father. So the first expression of prayer is relationship. When you are engaging with the relationship with God, when you are talking to him and you are hearing from him, this is an expression of prayer. The second thing is worship. Worship is actually an expression of prayer. I think a lot of us get confused about what worship is and what prayer is, and we box them in as these activities, but when we understand what Jesus models prayer as, it's actually the umbrella of the whole Christian life. It's actually the umbrella of how we live and move and how, have our being. Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. Jesus is showing us how he lived was from the place of communion with God and everything else flowed out of that place. So the second expression of prayer is worship. Do you know that worship is prayer? Prayer. Jesus says this, hallowed be your name. What does this mean? This means Jesus is praying to the Father. and says, your name is holy. Hallowed means to be set apart. Your, Your very name and identity is so holy and I honor you and I revere you and I praise you. That worship is an expression of prayer. The third one, is intercession. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That when we're interceding, what's happening is we are agreeing with his will and what he will do on the earth. That when there's someone in your life that is struggling or there's something happened, you actually have the ability to step into the gap on their behalf. This is what Jesus is. He's our great intercessor. He's standing in the gap for us, interceding on our behalf. When we're interceding, what's happening is we're saying, God, on behalf of this situation, on behalf of this nation, on behalf of my friend, on behalf of of my my family, I'm coming and I'm saying, God, I'm, I'm agreeing with your will and what you will do. That... Jesus actually teaches that prayer has the ability to release heaven on earth. Oh, that's crazy. So, relationship, worship, intercession. The fourth is this fourth expression of prayer is asking. Verse 11 Give us today our daily bread that prayer as an expression is asking God for provision. One of my life mottos is you have not because you ask not, which is from scripture. You have not because you ask not. God is waiting for us to ask. (laughs) Some of you need to hear that. God's waiting for you to ask. When you understand the vibrancy of prayer, that prayer is communion with a person. This isn't something that you send a letter and you hope in 10 to 15 business days you get a response. God is saying, ask. I'm your father. Ask. But the simple act, action and response and posture of asking God for our daily provision, for our financial provision for our emotional provision, for our spiritual provision is prayer. And the fifth one is this, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Jesus says this, pray, forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That receiving forgiveness for your sin and your shame is prayer. And extending forgiveness To others is prayer. The last one Jesus shows us is this, is that the expression of prayer is seeking protection. You can put the list up. Is seeking protection. Jesus says this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That seeking protection and freedom from the enemy is an expression of prayer. So this is what Jesus models to us. I want you guys to see this, prayer is the umbrella that this all falls under. When you're living in relationship and interaction with God, when you're talking and you're listening, that's prayer. When you're worshiping and you're honoring him, it's prayer. When you're interceding and asking God to move on the behalf of someone else, it's prayer. When you're asking for provision and for God to fill your needs and to satisfy, that's prayer. When you are receiving forgiveness because of your sin and your shame and you're releasing forgiveness to others, it's prayer. It's from communion that we do these things. Seeking protection when we're in moments of temptation and where the enemy is attacking, it's prayer. Prayer. This is what Jesus shows us. Matthew 6.6. 6. Jesus says this that I love. He says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So we see that prayer first is a posture. Prayer is communion. Communion. Prayer is living in union and constant connection with God. So prayer is a posture, but then prayer has an expression, which we saw in Matthew 6. Prayer finds itself with an expression. It's not enough to just say, yeah, I love my my wife and I feel connected to her, but I never do anything to express that, right? Does that make sense? So prayer is a posture, prayer is an expression, and prayer is intentional. Prayer is intentional, Yes, we need to live in constant communion. This has to be the foundation of prayer. The same way in a marriage, you got to go on dates. <laughs> you got to go on vacations. You, you have to have set aside intimate time where it's just you and your spouse. Yes, we live in the day-to-day in the grind of raising our kids, of working, and we stay in communion, and we stay in connection, and I express that by giving her gifts and serving her and listening. But then out of that, you also have to be intentional. You have to set apart, set aside time where it's just you and them. This is what Jesus shows us in Matthew 6. That prayer is communion. And yes, communion is connection, but connection is also meant to be in, intentional. That we have to learn how to live in both places. That prayer is us living in constant connection with God because right, nothing can separate you from God. Right? God's omnipresent. That God invites us to have constant connection and communion with him. This is unceasing prayer. but that connection is also meant to be set apart, set aside, and intentional. C.S. Lewis, he says this, that God has infinite attention to spare for each one of us. He does not have to deal with us in the mass. You're as much alone with him as if you were the only being he had ever created. That it's from this place of personal and intentional times of prayer that we become transformed like Jesus. And it's from this place that his desires become our desires. And this is what spurs us to love and serve and reach those around us. Because you start to become and look like the person you're in union with. And I want to emphasize this before, we, before I end this. Guys, we have to have set aside time with the Lord. We have to. That's where intimacy is developed. I'm in constant connection with my wife 100% throughout the day. But it's hard to be intimate when I'm going through everything and looking at all the responsibilities and working and taking care of my kids. There has to be intentional time. And your intentional time, I need you to hear this, church. Your intentional time cannot be checked off your list by coming to church on Sundays. Church is when you come together to give him an offering corporately. You're meant to be living your life intentionally with him, setting aside time where you are actively in his presence. God, I need provision. God, I want to just be in relationship with you. Sometimes when I'm praying, I'll, I'll be alone, and I'll just sit there. I'm not saying anything or asking anything. I'm just being aware that I'm in relationship with God. And then there's moments where on my face and I'm crying out, God, I need you to do this thing. I need help. I need you to step in. I need you to deliver. I need you to provide. And there's moments in prayer where I just think about Jesus. I just I have my hands up. I'm not even singing or sometimes I am. And I'm just in my heart thinking about who he is. I just want to honor him. I want to glorify him. I want to praise him. Go into your room. Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees What is done in secret will reward you. This is what we call the secret place. Those who seek him in secret will be rewarded and open. So I wanna end, I wanna share this story about the layman's revival. Who here knows about the layman's revival? Could you raise your hand? Amazing. So the Layman's Revival was a revival that happened in 1857 in New York City at Fulton Street Church. And this church was seeing a decline in their church attendance and they had a man named Jeremiah Lanfer lead an effort to reach the unchurched of his city. That Lanfer was a businessman. He had no theological training. He had no clue how to reach the city except to organize a noonday prayer meeting. So what he did was he printed up invites. He handed out to anyone who would take it. And his first meeting, he's sitting there for 20 minutes. No one shows up. Eventually, two to three people show up, and that was it. But what happened was he stayed consistent. And eventually, it grew, and the room was filled. And it went from one room to three rooms to eventually filling the whole sanctuary. And after a few months of noonday prayer meetings sprung up across the city at churches of all denominations being filled with people praying on their lunch breaks. That what spurred Jeremiah was this scripture where Jesus says, could you not stay up with me for one hour? He's talking to his disciples, he's in Gethsemane. He says, come and pray with me. How often is Jesus inviting us into the place of prayer and communion. Come and pray with me. And we neglect him and we reject him and we choose our own thing. And the disciples, as you know in the story, they fall asleep and Jesus said, this was Jesus' last hour with his disciples before his crucifixion. And he says, could you not stay up with me for one hour? So this is what Jeremiah did. Had noonday prayer meetings for just one hour. And it sprung up, it grew All denominations filled the city, and eventually the media caught attention. The the newspapers caught attention of it, and they had reporters go throughout the city to see how many workers were praying during their lunch breaks. They saw around 15 people praying, and so they ended up getting people, reporters on horsebacks, to go around the city to to take note of how many people were praying, started with 15,000 people. It grew to 25,000 people. And the more that these stories and newspapers were written, the bigger the the meetings got, and eventually there were 40,000 people praying in New York City during their lunch breaks. And because New York City was the center of the world at that time, all over America, people would read the New York papers, and revival began to break out. Listen to this. By 1895, more than one million unchurched Americans were saved as a result of these prayer meetings. The craziest thing was that the layman revival took place two years before the Civil War started. Before war spread, the gospel was spreading and salvation was happening and was all sparked because of consistent prayer. I think that at the, as a church, we need to become awakened to prayer again. Yeah, that prayer is not this black and white ritual. And, and hear me, prayer is boring sometimes. There's sometimes I pray and nothing happens and I'm just reading scripture and meditating. And I'm journaling and, you know, I hear something from the Lord and it's not earth shaking. But that's Okay. Because intimacy is not about the highs and the lows. It's about consistency and commitment and covenant. And we see this movement of the spirit. This was a layman. This wasn't someone with theological training. And and, and all the people that started all these meetings weren't people who were, were priests or pastors. These were just people who attended the church who were motivated and moved by prayer. And what would happen in our churches if that marked us? We're like, God, we need a move. (laughs) Lynchburg needs a move of God. My family, my personal life, raise your hand if you need a move of God in your personal life, then pray. Learn that prayer is, is not just a singular activity, it's communion with God that you have to develop and you develop that in the secret place. A.W. Tozer says this to desire revival and at the same time to neglect personal prayer and devotion is to wish one way and walk another. We want revival, we want God to move, we want God to pour His Spirit out, but we barely even shut our door and are alone with God and say, God, what is your will? What is your desires? Transform me into your image that when I leave my closet, and I leave my room, I'm saturated by God. That's what prayer does. And so I'm going to pray, and I just want everyone to stand. And I want the Lord to mark us with a burden for prayer. The Lord would mark us with a burden of prayer. If we're going to become missional as a church, it has to flow from this place. Almost every great awakening in America and revival was birthed out of a prayer meeting. Wasn't birthed out of our own strength and our own charisma and our own creativity and our own ability to attract people was birthed from prayer. So, just as a response of faith, I just want you to put your hands out. I want to pray for you that you would receive a burden for prayer. Father, would you just breathe right now over this room? And would you start to peel back the layers and even, Lord, the baggage that we have around prayer? Where we saw prayer modeled to us in a way that wasn't transformative. We saw prayer modeled to us in a way that was just a religious duty. We saw prayer modeled to us as something that was unengaging and boring. Lord, would you peel back the layers and would you tear the veil and would you show us that we're not behind a barrier, but we're in your presence when we pray. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would put an excitement and a joy for prayer in every heart in this room, that when people leave church today, that they would actually be excited to go home and close their door and open their Bible and worship and pray and connect and commune and become saturated with you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would even release a grace over our church to pray that we, if we are going to be a Jesus people, we have to become a praying people. If we're going to reach the world around us, then we cannot do it in our own ability and our own resources. We need the move of the Spirit. So, Father, would you give us a hunger and thirst for righteousness and your presence and prayer? Would you equip us? Would you open up? The box that we place prayer in, that prayer is this beautiful invitation to live in constant communion, that people in their day-to-day, that just as Jesus did, that in the moment of stress and crisis and pressure, he, he ran towards prayer. He didn't run towards relationships. He didn't run towards food. He didn't run towards a substance. He didn't run towards someone else's affirmation. He actually ran to the place of prayer because that was where he was filled and he was satisfied. Lord, let us be people who run to the place of prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Would you mark this church as a praying church that Jesus says, my house be a house of prayer that the defining attribute of jesus's house which is you by the way you're his house you're his temple is not worship it's not preaching it's not theology which all these are important but it's prayer and prayer is not just an activity it's communion that my house will be a house of communion and connection and relationship with god so we love you Would you fill us? In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Bless you guys. Have an amazing Sunday.